welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast, where today I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray. Um, I believe this is the tenth podcast we've done this year, so it's a bit of a landmark achievement, Darren. But uh, so that's uh, moving on from that. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what you have to say about that. Into well, into double figures, Chris. Double figures, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we should uh, we should have some kind of celebration given that it's uh, nearly Christmas. Oh, no, I don't think so. After this, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, today, well, today is the last one of the year, uh, just before Christmas. Um, at the end of the year, as we all know, is the perfect time to be looking forward. Um, people making all sorts of like, New Year sort of uh, arrangements and what they're going to be changing about, you know, their either themselves personally or their IT team. Um, and today, we'll be looking at what trends should chief information officers be considering in 2017 and the first one i think we're going to have a quick chat about is uh, ransomware what that means for a cio yeah absolutely chris um so um you know quick recap i guess on what 2016 has meant for ransomware is you know it's definitely exploded it has been the year of ransomware with many different organizations uh being uh targeted um you know we've seen instances of um, you know, health uh, hospitals and uh, healthcare um, establishments being targeted uh, by ransomware. Uh, many of those have uh, paid because they—that's uh, what they needed to do. We've seen financial services companies uh, being infected, and you know, companies of all shapes and sizes being targeted. So that's 2016. Now, as we go into 2017, uh, I'm saying that the that this is um, you know a proven business model for uh, for these organisations now. So um, you know, expect to see developments. In fact, um, we've seen developments um, just this week in the shape of. Um, pyramid selling um, type um, ransomware. Now, this is ransomware where um, it sends you the, uh, the the malware, the virus, if you like, it encrypts all your files, and then it says you need to pay seven hundred dollars or you know a thousand pounds, whatever it may be, in uh, in bitcoins, mm. um, or you have the option then to send on the mail to a number of other people, and if they um, pay. Then you get your hard drive uh, unlocked for free. So okay. you have to send uh, at least two people have to have to pay, uh, and then you get your hard drive unlocked for free. Um, so you become um, the, uh, the spreader of this malware. Now I think that's a pretty um, um, you know I think that's a, a new twist on on the existing business model. But I expect to see more innovation uh, of this kind. So how could you know, in that case how can you protect yourself and your company? If, uh, are there are there are there ways of mitigating this risk? Well, uh, always start with the way. Awareness is our advice, right. um, Chris, on these sorts of things. Start with awareness because um, if people understand the risks, if your staff understand the risks, if your IT team understand the risks, but not just your IT team, it has to be you know across the business. You know, mm. as we've discussed, the changing role of the CIO and all those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, make sure that people understand uh, the risks, how the infections occur, what malware. Um, uh, is what ransomware is, and how to avoid it. You know, so don't click on those executable files, and um, make sure that um, you know you've got your USB drives locked, uh, your USB ports rather locked down, so that thumb drives and USB drives um, can't be used to to spread infection that way. I think anyone, if anyone who's been listening to these podcasts for the last six months to a year will know, and it's a very much a people thing, is it not? Um, we've been we've been saying that all, all the way through. Yeah. But in terms of you know, in terms of this rans- ransomware issue, is there any sort of is there a clever thing you can do with encryption? You know, creating new codes that could 
fight this kind of stuff off? Or? Uh, no, unfortunately not, Chris. Unfortunately, it, it, it takes um, encryption and uses it against us, uh, strong mm. encryption. That's the that's the real challenge with these. Um, you can't with fight it off with even more even smarter encryption technology. There are there are ways and means, there are tools, and there, obviously you can make sure that you've got a good backup re- regime and a good yep. incident response regime should you get an infection. And having a plan to be able to um, respond to how... Um, to a uh, to a, an infection to an incident. So um, really, we're in the, the the territory of like business continuity planning. Really, is that what you're saying? Yeah, right? business continuity, disaster recovery, you know, and an incident response. Um, being able to respond quickly, taking the machine off the network so it's not encrypting the network drives, um, and um, responding as quickly as possible in that way, rather than letting it run and run and run, and then having to you know decrypt uh, terabytes of uh, data or potentially having to pay more. Well, uh, we're talking. We've been talking about encryption um, now. Blockchain technology mm. very much uses you know the latest in, encrypt, encrypted techniques, and I yes. suppose that's that's maybe a good point to lead good into. Segue. Yeah, good, good, se- good segue. Good segue. segue. We're getting, getting ever more professional. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. So, yeah. so well, well, what, what what applications might blockchain and say you know their sort of their, their cousin smart contracts have that could. You know, that could help. Well, I, I think that 2017 is going to be, and we you know we have done a, um, a podcast and some other uh, blogs about uh, blockchain, but I really see 2017 being a, um, a pivotal year uh, for blockchain. We're going to see a number of organizations doing more investigation. We're going to see pilot projects, and we'll see some actual implementations. Um, for those who haven't listened to the previous podcast or read um, so much about it, uh, blockchain is the technology that sits behind uh, Bitcoin, and it's a way, a means of having a distributed ledger, or um, a ledger being a, a means of proving ownership or demonstrating ownership, uh, really. Uh, but because it's distributed, it means there's not one single copy, and it means that trying to um, fake the ledger or remove entries or putting additional entries in is very, very difficult, um, and that's made more difficult by the, uh, the good use this time of um, encryption and encryption technology. Yeah, yeah. So it means, in terms of this, this encryption technology, I think you mentioned once before, but it basically uses prime numbers. Is that is that, is that right? Yeah. Are we, are we getting a bit too technical? Pr- we, probably, think- we probably are, but yes, it uses, uh, I, and there's lots of good um, explanations by um, by um, yeah, by people who have actually simplified this down um, in a way that um, is very good for um, you know, for beginners um, uh, and for you know and for those who are interested in exploring it further. But um, um, have a look on uh, Wikipedia for um, you know private key encryption or mm. prime number uh, based encryption. Those kind yeah. of things. But public key encryption is probably the best search. Okay, there. Sounds, that sounds interesting. I'm not sure I'll do that before Christmas, but maybe no. in the, in the no, new year. Oh, no, okay, no. Right. <laughs> but anyway, so well, we've talked about blockchain. Chain. Um, smart contract seems like the next logical place to, to go in this field, doesn't it? It is. Um, so smart contracts are, are really interesting and often associated with um, uh, with uh, blockchain technology, simply because blockchain ha- provides that provenance, that history, that um, that uh, trusted um, distributed source of information. Yeah. Um, now, a smart contract allows. Um, Allow something like, uh, well, the example we've used before, and it's an often used um, example, is where you get, um, where you've got uh, travel insurance, for example. Someone's delayed, uh, their flight is delayed, um, rather than the traveller having to fill in a claim form and provide the evidence that the flight was actually delayed, uh, the insurance company, in this case, um, would 
take the, the information from the trusted source, the airline or the airport, whatever, who's providing the information to say this, is, this flight was delayed, they'd actually uh, take that information and use that information to trigger uh, the payment and trigger the claim. So the insured themselves wouldn't have to provide any other additional information or uh, additional uh, claims evidence um, because the smart contract and the information and evidence from the airline company would actually provide that information itself. Right. Absolutely key there is it provides additional uh, convenience for the insured, um, but critically it further reduces the cost of claims which you know according to you know some uh, to many sources is still you know one of the most um, the more expensive areas um, you know of the insurance um, yeah. value chain if you like okay well that's going to be well hopefully that will see a significant improvement to the insurance value chain which has been a major issue you know people have been talking about that for many many yeah. years uh, so hopefully we can see some real practical improvements. And I guess the financial services sector is one of the largest investors in the blockchain, isn't it? I mean, mm. um, you know, do we know, have we any examples of, of, of insurers that have actually made that, a significant investment that you know of? There are, there are a number of insurers who are looking at it and, um, and playing with it. But because it's such a, um, it needs to be a collaborative thing. It really needs to be a market where you've got a distributed um, mechanism. It should be perfect for the London insurance market. When you think about well, the peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, part of Tom. Yeah, you know, it's part of Tom. But the way the market works in terms of like the peer-to-peer, -peer, I mean, you know, the, the syndicate approach, syndicated approach to risk, risk in a way, the distributed ledger approach to risk, you'd think would fit together really well. Uh, it's um, it's very much perfect for for, for many sectors of the uh, financial services, including banks as well. Though, yeah, mean, banks, absolutely for banks. And also even for, um, you know, there's some good, um, uh, good examples in uh, the diamond trade uh, too, actually being able to um, log uh, a diamond and uh, register a diamond. And then if that diamond is um, stolen, uh, preventing uh, the on sale of that, um, of that stolen oh, yeah. property, yeah. for example. Very interesting, very interesting. So, well, I suppose the whole thing about, you know, the things like blockchain smart contracts is they're predicated on the, 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 the potential for big data, really, aren't they? The fact that there's so much data out there um, which needs to be managed and and, and encrypted. Uh, and that leads on to, I think, there's a new concept that you, you've uh, you mentioned in the past. And what is what is that? Um, so, uh, big information. Um um, so the differentiation between data and information. Um, data at plus analysis equals information. Now, um, the reason why I differentiate between these two is it's very easy to collect terabytes of data. There are organisations who do this already, um, some in the financial services sector. A really good example is actually um, uh, Tesco's. They collect um, through their uh, the club card, their loyalty scheme, um, they collect uh, regular purchase information on about forty percent of the UK population. Wow! Yeah, so a lot of information um, that they um, that they uh, they collect on a. Have you coined the term big information? I don't think I've heard, I've heard that before. I believe I have, but um, you know, I'm perfectly happy to um, um, to uh, provide um, <laughs> um, you know to defer that to someone else who's um, used it before. But um, I think I I, I think no, I, I have. I don't think I've seen it elsewhere, but you know, sometimes these things sink in, Chris, and um, you know, you pull them out of the brain, and it's it feels like it's new. But um, well, how in terms of obviously we can see the potential applications for for Tesco, but I suppose I mean there's nothing to stop them. I mean they've been talking about moving into the insurance value chain for, for mm. many years. They actually had they have done already, but mm -hmm. this provides them with more leverage. 
uh, potential, I guess, to do that, an off-used word, but disrupt the market. I mean, well, it does. I mean, so an example of how Tesco's might utilise their data, um, there was um, um, a study, for example, by, I believe it was an Australian insurer, I might have that wrong, uh, but I believe it was an Australian insurer who said, those who pay their bills on time are safer drivers. So if we actually do a, um, a, a credit score and actually see that you pay your bills on time, you might actually, that might contribute to you getting a, um, a reduction in the cost of your insurance because we, we believe that there's a tie-up between those two pieces of data. Now, that's a relatively um, simple, and I'm not sure it's entirely proven. They believed it was. Um, but um, there are other pieces of information that um, lead to um, can lead and can inform insurers as to whether these risks are good risks or bad risks. Some of them come down to personal information, such as, you know, using, um, you know, the, the club card loyalty information. Mm. You know, if all you buy at Tesco's is, um, you know, ice cream and alcohol, that may, um, you know, that may not necessarily um, um, demonstrate that you have a completely balanced diet. But perhaps, they're the only things that you like uh, from Tesco, so it may not be the full picture yeah, too. Um, so, um, big information and, and where that might be used in uh, financial services, insurance, um, banking, um, all area, all aspects of financial services um, have never been shy about their ability to um, collect information. But now, conjoining that with other sources of commercially available information, perhaps from Tesco's, perhaps from our, uh, other sources, but being able to conjoin that, bring it together, and then actually turn it, do the analysis and turn it into big information. Mm. That's where the opportunity is. And I think that we'll start to see that during the course of 2017. Big information will become a real, uh, a real thing and something um, that organisations will be striving for over and above big data, not just collecting and storing terabytes of data sure. actually turning into information that can be used i suppose analogous to that is the fact that you know big if you've if you've got a uh, safer drivers probably the sorts of people who'd be more likely to pay their bills on time as well so you can, well, that may, you yeah, can flip it around it, don't it, you? It, it, that may well be the case yeah that may yeah. well be the case but that's the 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 key aspect here is uh, i guess um you know um, having the the skills, the understanding, the bandwidth within mm. your team to actually take your data and turn it into information. So, you know, we already have a chief information officer and very often this role will sit um, as part of their remit. But increasingly, we're seeing organisations who are looking at this and embracing this kind of um, approach actually um, uh, recruiting uh, chief data, data officers. Officer, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some of them take them uh, take that as a service as well from, you know, from friendly consultancy companies in, in some cases. So in a world, well, in this world of big information, then that, that means that data protection obviously has never been more important. So what, what do, we, do we need to do to build up our data protection facilities? Well, 2017 is going to be a real, um, a real year for data protection, in my opinion. Um, you know, we've got the uh, general data protection regulation, um, snappily named, but often uh, or mostly shortened to GDPR. Um, that becomes uh, legislation in uh, 2018 or May 2018. Um, you know, we've spoken on the podcast about this before. But um, the reason that 2017 is going to be such a big year for data protection is because many organisations are going to be having to look at their data protection as a result of GDPR, but also other um, regional regulation as well. Mm. Um, you know, the US uh, regulators 
and uh, you know state uh, state by state regulators as well as um, people like the SEC are looking at uh, data protection as part of their cybersecurity um, um, requirements um, as well. But the European uh, GDPR uh, requirement is really going to drive um, people to be looking at um, data protection in 2017. Bearing yeah. in mind how much um, change there already is in many many of the organisations, certainly the ones that we speak to, it's not like they have a you know a clear you know that they have clear blue sky in their change agenda where they can say oh well we'll just slot these changes that need to be made to our systems to make them GDPR compliant you know we'll just slot <coughs> those in here yeah um, you know they're having to make way they're having to push things aside and in some instances having to defer things or the, you know they're um, you know having to hire additional people so they can plan it now especially in. when you think in terms of there's so much going on in the world whether it's you know, in, a, in a post Brexit and Trump world where there's going to be a lot of things are going to be in flux. I suppose it makes sense to actually plan for these known, known knowns now. Oh, you have to do that, Chris. I mean, um, you know, many, you know, many podcast listeners will perhaps have gone through, um, you know, budget planning in the last uh, over the course of the last quarter. Um, so, you know, some of um, some people will will be preaching to the converted. They'll have added, um, you know. Uh, allowances for GDPR projects in um, in 2017. Um, some of them uh, won't have done so and may need to still do so. So they may need to be making the business case for an ex- you know an exceptional project in 2017 to start uh, start GDPR. So can you? you know, we talked about planning. I mean, can can you plan to innovate? Is it possible to plan to innovate? I mean, you know, can you plan to create more efficiencies and innovative practices for your for your company? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think. Um, Efficiency and innovation is really a this a creative tension um, uh, between uh, between the two because at one side efficiency is you know about doing things um, you know quicker or with less re- you know the mm. using less resources um, that's um, um, what efficiency means innovation means obviously doing new things now that can be finding new ways to do things. Um, efficiently, obviously, if that's your if that's your focus, but I think for CIO, CIOs in particular, um, you know, during the course of um, you know 2016, we've seen in the financial services sector alone, we've seen you know a great deal of pressure on CIOs to you know further cut costs, um, to further improve efficiencies. Um, um, we're starting to see um, you know a reaction. Um, you know, one of the reactions being um, to be more innovative and actually yeah. set, up, set up innovation teams. You know, we're seeing that. So I guess the direct answer to your question, can you plan um, efficiency in, uh, and innovation is, you know, yes, you most definitely can, but it doesn't happen on its own. It's not like a normal project. You have to, ha- you have, to have innovation teams and, and structure innovation teams, and they need to be very much cross-functional teams. Um, you know the 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 greatest innovation that we see in the you know in working with our clients to help them innovate, the greatest innovation comes when you get a real cross section of the organisation um, mm. who can say, well, I've spotted this inefficiency here to carry on that example, and someone saying, oh, I thought of a good solution for something like that and this, and that may not be the perfect solution, but you may have other people in the room who can say. Well, if we did that minus this plus this, yeah, uh, and you actually get to a solution that, you know, that without that conversation having taken place, a solution would never have come to light because it's such mm. a a disparate 
um, a cross section of the team who are actually involved in the conversation. It reminds me a little bit. I mean, we talked just before we came on air. Um, we we're talking about Google Translate, weren't we? And, mm. uh, the, the, I read the very interesting article that I'd recommend anyone should read. It was in the in the New York Times recently, talking about how Google Translate was developed in the space of a year. But that started off from one one guy who was, I believe, was a, a cognitive psychologist. Mm. Um, and it's, it's this technology which actually goes back twenty years. Could have been applied twenty years ago, but it was the time now to use you know, deep learning or machine learning mm. and applying it to Google Translate. Yeah. But they use cross-functional teams very much across the organisation at Google. Yeah. And I guess to say this is what you're trying to say. Absolutely. I mean, any organisation that's going to innovate or going to bring new uh, technologies, new functions to bear, has to be able to do that, has to be able to um, work across the team. And the really interesting thing, and we'll put um, we'll put the link, uh, Chris, in uh, you're on the website um, uh, to the article that you're, that you're talking about in the podcast description. Um, the really interesting aspect about Google Translate, though, is that um, it's now able to translate languages that they haven't actually taught it or have a stab at translating yeah, because yeah. it can understand um, you know, certain things between um, correlations between, uh, between languages. So uh, they're experimenting with that, but that's one of the things that they've actually started to see. So is innovation a way that can, you know, can help organisations to well, they can, it can help people to increase their profits, but how, how do you see that applying, say, in the insurance or the banking sector? What are they going to be... The big profit generators, you think, in 2017, the key trends is is deep deep learning. I think deep learning will, uh, machine um, your know, machine learning or artificial intelligence. I think that is a trend. Um, you know, we've seen that starting to um, um, to come through, and it's only you know it's only going to increase because it is a um, it will lead to efficiencies. You know, if you can have. Um, you know, for example, IBM's Watson. Um, yeah. You know, they use that to um, do the the first pass on um, X rays and things like that. Um, you know, in the in the medical field. So um, that means that uh, doctors only get involved. Um, you know, in the more exceptional cases. So it means that you don't have um, the skilled. Uh, you know, these very skilled people um, looking at. Uh, you know the. 80% of um, x-rays that actually don't demand their attention, um, you know, beyond the, yes, I can see that, you know, this person's broken their leg here or the, this rib here or whatever it may be. Um, so um, in that case, um, you know, uh, AI machine learning is able to magnify the capability um, within, um, you know, within your organisation. And, and we are seeing um, banks, um, you know, credit card companies uh, for fraud detection um, mm. using this kind of machine learning. Um, and we're also seeing, um, you know, uh, insurance companies, um, you know, uh, the likes of, uh, well, the general insurers, um, you know, and the personal lines insurers have been using, um, um, you know, machine learning uh, for anti-fraud techniques for, you know, for, uh, for some time. We're seeing those increase. And we're also seeing um, some of the predictive um, software right. um, and insurers using predictive well, software. risk modelling. Uh, mm. yeah, okay. Well, uh, fascinating, really. But, uh, well, okay, well, that's, uh, I think, a, a fair bit of food uh, for thought for, for 2017. I think we've covered quite a lot of ground in this in this in this latest podcast um we as, as we mentioned earlier we i think we've done 10 of these now i'm sure we'll do a similar number next year um you can subscribe to uh, the fifth step podcast on itunes um or just by going to the uh, fifth step uh, blog area which yep. you know, the fifth, yep. fifth sense area of uh, fifth step so uh, but to do that you'll need to go to www.fifth uh, f i f t h S-T-E-P dot com. 
Uh, and you'll find uh, a whole raft of uh, very interesting information, a mixture of podcasts and written blogs and white papers. Lots to lots to uh, to read there over the Christmas holidays. So I just want to say, finish the, the rest of the year, um, I want to say thank you for reading these columns um, during 2016 and also for listening to our podcast. And I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. And yeah. to you, Darren. Thank you very much, uh, Chris, and to, uh, and to all our listeners too. Thanks very much.